Congratulations to everybody out there who has hit a home dunk, scored a slam trick, whatever it is that you've done in your own personal sporting world. I'm John Moe, and uh, we are, we're proud to bring you this show. We're happy to bring you this show. This is part of the Infinite Guest Network, and I hope by now you've gone to infiniteguest.org and shopped around at some of the other podcasts that are available on that network, Open Mike Eagle, who did our, our theme song, he's got a, a show called Secret Skin that's quite wonderful. The authors Sherman Alexi and Jess Walter have one that you should check out called A Tiny Sense of Accomplishment. It's about writing and artistic endeavors in general. So uh, be, sure to, be sure to scope that out when you go to infiniteguest.org from American Public Media. We're going to be talking about football because it's fall. Because that's what you do. That's what humans do. When autumn arrives, they start talking about football. And we're going to go to college football and then on to the pros. As if we had athletic talent. We'll start with college and then we'll go to the pros. Uh, We're going to have a talk with Chuck Klosterman coming up. uh, Well-known author and college football fan and New York Times ethicist. And I think that's an important distinction because we're going to find out about the ethics of being a fan of college football, of of supporting that institution. Later on, round two of the Tournament of Names uh, in the NFL. We winnow down our field of various mascots battling each other to the death, and we get a little bit further in that tournament. We'll see how that goes. So college football. You know, I've been thinking about this whole home dunk thing, and I think after now that I've done a few of these, what this show is really about, it's really about the emotional experience of being a fan. It's almost it's almost like a religion kind of thing. Like give we go through these things as sports fans where we give over our state of being and our our sense of self to some extent uh to sports teams and we judge ourselves or at least we are influenced in our day by whether they win or lose or how they're doing or what free agents they signed or whether they have criminals doing horrible things and also playing for their team because then you have to deal with that on some level as a fan and that's not easy good luck baltimore ravens fans with your time of struggle and uh, i've been thinking about college football because the season is starting now and ultimately it comes down to really wondering which is it is it college or is it football because if it's college There's a lot of things those football players do that don't really count as college. And if it's football, then why the illusion of them going to classes and and sitting there and and paying attention? Now, my my background with college football is a little bit bumpy. I grew up watching the University of Washington Huskies, and I grew up in the Seattle area. Both of my sisters went to the University of Washington. It was just up the road. It's where all the cool record stores were. That's where... That was my team, the University of Washington Huskies. Uh, when I went to college, I went to it. I didn't go there. I went to a tiny little college called Whitman College, and uh, so small, in fact, that it had no football team. So I never had that experience of going to the stadium to root for your your school's team. Most people there kind of latched onto Washington or maybe Washington State, and so. I started to get kind of separated from it a little bit. The University of Washington football team was colored through the experiences that my sisters had as students at the university, and then it was colored through it not being really my university. But I I rooted for them. You know, I wanted the Huskies to win more than I wanted other teams to win. Um, But there was this growing sense that the people behind college athletics 
are sort of kidding. And I think you have to go along with that if you're really going to be a, a sports fan, a college sports fan in particular, uh, unless you're really sincerely into volleyball or <laughs> college golf or, or what have you. But if you're going to support one of the big money-making sports, you've got to be willing to go along with the joke. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't. I'm not saying that that's not a fun thing to do. But you have to. It, it's like it's like watching a zombie movie. You know, you have to suspend disbelief in the inherent ridiculousness of what you're seeing. We had we had Stephen Yun from uh, The Walking Dead on my other show, Wits, and we had him on stage at the Fitzgerald Theater. And I, I had this big, long list of things that I wanted to uh, ask him that I found to be logical inconsistencies in the universe of The Walking Dead. And after I got through, like, the first question of my set of 30 or so questions, he said, well, you're dealing in a world where there's zombies walking around. So maybe you just need to uh, maybe you need to let your worries about accuracy go. Maybe you need to suspend the disbelief for a little while just to make it through. And I think it's the same thing as college football. Um, <laughs> you, you just have to buy into this being a world that does make sense and, and then go along with it if, if that's what you want to do. Um, but anyway, so Washington. So I grew up wash, watching Washington. I wanted them to win. Um, but in Washington, they are the snobby school compared to Washington State University in Pullman. That's on the eastern side of the state. That's farm country. It's smaller. They have like big agricultural programs uh, for people who want to major in, in that. It's, it's the cow school. And uh, they thought the University of Washington in Seattle were a bunch of snobs. And I was offended by that as a kid. Like, no, they are not snobs. They are my heroes. I met Warren Moon, you guys. I met Warren Moon when I was 10 years old at the opening of a shopping center. And he was a quarterback for the University of Washington. So, like, as I was a true believer. But then I, I kind of got to know the University of Washington. And that thing about being snobs and jerks started to make a little sense when after college... I lived in this really terrible apartment with some roommates, and up above us, in the apartment above us, there were three University of Washington football players. There was an offensive lineman, a defensive lineman, and a linebacker, and uh, these were horrible people. <laughs> these were loud, intentionally loud, oblivious jerks, and uh, I it was <laughs> it was very difficult because this this made me even more distant from the university program. I still somehow wanted the uh, the team to win, but I wanted all these guys individually to perform horribly. That's, that's my point of view on the whole thing. I, I didn't necessarily want them to be injured, but I thought if they were injured, then at least they wouldn't be pounding on the floor so much because they would be, they would be laid up in some sort of uh, medical device. And, and that was... <laughs> That was something good. Um, later on, I worked for the University of Washington. I worked for the public radio station that's affiliated with it. And, you know, my check said University of Washington. So then it became a bureaucracy. And so I think this was like this whole complicated relationship that I have with sports. I think a lot of people do have with sports is this product of a simple thing becoming increasingly complicated. My relationship with college football and the University of Washington became increasingly complicated uh, as as it went along. And I found myself not really being able to go along with the joke so much anymore. I couldn't buy in. I couldn't accept that there were zombies uh, as much as I used to. And, you know, now I'm now I'm very, very old. I'm like 150 years old or something. I'm, I'm an old, old man. But... Um, now I can I'm so distantly removed from that team and from college sports in general. I don't even live in Seattle. Uh, I have no relationship with the university. I don't know anybody who goes to the university. Uh, I don't live near it. Um, and I find myself now able to enjoy college football more in the abstract because I have less of a relationship with it than I ever have before. I can stand outside it. I can suspend the disbelief. I can... Uh, you know, I, I don't have to ask Stephen Yun why all the non-zombies don't just move up to Minnesota where all the zombies would freeze and then there would be no problem at all. 
Uh, I don't have to think about any of that. And now I can kind of root for the Golden Gophers of the University of Minnesota because because I have no relationship other than I think it's funny that there's a team called the Golden Gophers. And uh, in one, one song by The Hold Steady, he says talks about somebody loving the Golden Gophers. And so they, I just have a natural affinity for that because I like the Hold Steady and I'm, I know Craig Finn, the lead singer, a little bit. <laughs> um, but you know what? Through it all, if it came right down to it and the Golden Gophers or any other team were playing the Washington Huskies, I think I'd still want the Washington Huskies to win. And that's religion, you guys. That that has no... That's magic. I heard somebody say that that what we call magic is when we get to the end of our scientific understanding, and then we just see an abyss beyond that. And that abyss we either call magic or religion or anything else. I will also call it sports. I put sports into that abyss. And I think if you're still listening to this, then maybe you're kind of like me. So anyway, thanks for joining us for Home Dunk. Here comes Chuck Klosterman. We're talking to our friend Chuck Klosterman. He is the author of many books. Most recently, I Wear the Black Hat, which is out now in paperback. He is the ethicist for the New York Times Magazine. He writes for Grantland. He is a native of Windmere, North Dakota. Hello, Chuck. How are you doing, John? I'm well, thank you. College football season is imminent. What are you excited about for the upcoming season? What, what riles you up? Well, you know, what I like about the way the coverage of college football has changed is that it's, at least for a few months, it's almost the way uh, baseball used to be, which is that if there's any given evening, pretty much Saturday, Friday, Thursday, or Tuesday, um, if you turn the television on, there's probably a college football game somewhere. I feel like it's become the easiest sport to follow really closely because it's on all the time and the games are all relatively meaningful. How do you... I don't know if that's the answer you were hoping for. <laughs> I, I, were you hoping I would say, like, I'm really stoked about you know, Alabama's... Like Wisconsin Badgers or something? <laughs> <with it. laughs> no, no. Well, because I know that you don't have a particular team that you follow. You're, you are a generalized enthusiast for college football itself. Well, that's true, except in every game that I watch, I do inevitably have a rooting interest. And there's some teams that, you know, I often I pick it while I'm watching the game. I sort of make that selection as happening. But there's also some teams that I do traditionally root for most of the time. Like who? I usually, usually root for Notre Dame. I usually root for oh, Nebraska. Yeah. I usually root for almost any school that wears orange in their uniform. <laughs> Wait, Clemson, wait, Tennessee, let, let, Texas, all those schools. <laughs> I traditionally root um, for um, um, Oregon and Oregon State. I I, I traditionally root for uh, like a, a, a Georgia and Georgia Tech. Um, and I, I just have all there's just certain schools that I've always had a certain degree of interest in. And while it's not inflexible, it's not like I'll root for them no matter what happens. On balance, I will usually pull for those schools. All the military academies, I usually pull for them. Yeah. Uh, not because I love the military. I just, I don't know, I did when I was a little kid, and I just kept doing it. Well, let's unpack some of these uh, some of these preferences. What's the deal with the orange? Why do you root for teams that wear orange? Well, you know how Prince is with purple? I'm yeah. kind of that way with orange. <laughs> every, I like everything that's orange. Uh, in fact, I'm in my office right now, um, and the walls are orange. Um, if I can, if I'm purchasing clothing, I always want to purchase orange clothing if possible. Wow! Not, you know, um, I just have every everything that if I ha- if I'm playing a board game and you got to pick the little piece, I you always go with orange. orange. Um, Do you like oranges thing. and orange juice? Just yeah, proportionally, sure. especially to look at. <laughs> like if I had to, if, I, if, I, if my apartment had to be filled with a fruit, yeah, that's what I would pick. Uh, sure, just um, aesthetically, yeah, you know. They say I, I took a, a class in college on the, like the, on visual communication, and some people say that if you love the color orange, it reflects hunger in oh. all capacities: hunger for food, um, you know, hunger for visceral pleasure, hunger for success, or whatever. That 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 orange somehow symbolizes that uh, unconsciously. So I'm, I guess I am a hungry person. I eat a lot of things. Yeah. <laughs> wow. And 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 it's Syracuse. Apparently, they're starving. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, Clemson though has the the best uh, uniforms in this regard. Oh, yeah. Their home uniforms are orange on top, orange on the bottom, orange helmet with a nice little blue paw. Um, Tennessee has very good orange uniforms, but it's kind of a muted kind of orange. Uh-huh. Texas is burnt orange. That's kind of all right. Um, uh, Syracuse, you're right. That's another good one. Yeah. There's a lot of orange out there. Well, now, I, I'm from the Pacific Northwest, and I know that Oregon versus Oregon State is called the Civil War when they mm-hmm. play. Th- those yeah. those schools don't get along. How can you favor both sides of a rivalry? Well, I uh, you know, I, I really like the coach at Oregon State. Um, I think that he consistently gets more out of his talent than kind of any coach over there. But uh, I love the way that Oregon – has sort of changed the way college football is played by playing faster and sort of uh, using a hurry-up offense that's still basically a run offense. I thought Chip Kelly was a real innovative, real interesting guy. So um, I kind of like Oregon State for uh, kind of traditional reasons, the the reasons my dad would have liked the team or whatever. Um, Oregon feels very modern to me, and I appreciate sort of how they have embraced the changes in the game. So when I watch Oregon and Oregon State – Typically, who I will root for is I will root for Oregon if they're still in contention for the national championship because I'd like to see that happen. Um, but if if they are already essentially eliminated, then I root for Oregon State. This is like out in Corvallis and kind of a terrible place to be in some ways, and, and you know, they seem to have no advantages and a fraction of the money Oregon has. Yeah. So, I mean, whenever I like a team, it's not – I mean, I'm not going to try to claim that I'm like some, you know, more sophisticated or something than other sports fans. But I will say this: I very rarely like a team um, for just sort of the conventional reason that uh, you know I was from there, or I went to school there, or whatever the case may be. Uh, I, there's you know many things, including the color of their uniforms, come into play when I'm deciding who I like. Well, and and then let's talk about Notre Dame because to a lot of people that's like. Duke basketball. That's the team that everybody hates. Well, that, you know, this is, this is something where, you know, when I grew up uh, in a very Catholic household, my dad, my dad's dead now, but like he loved Notre Dame um, in a way that for a long period of my life, I just assumed that that was like the normal reaction because Notre <laughs> Dame was always on television. Right. They were kind of portrayed by the media as, um, the most popular team in the country, and in many ways they are. They're the most popular team, um, like they're the second most popular team in so many regions. Like, Certainly you know, the most ubiquitous team. Yes, you know. Um, so, um, you know, I, I guess I just sort of got, you know, it was something that I talked to my dad a lot about. Uh, if we were talking on the telephone, we would talk about who they were recruiting or whatnot. Um, and then they struggled for this period of time in the 90s. Um, and to and in the eighties, some too, um, but they were still, of course, perceived as being this kind of prestige program. So um, they felt like a almost unjustly penalized institution. Like people were finally getting back at the success they had had, you know, uh-huh. in the forties and fifties and sixties. Um, so I just uh, I, I I almost was programmed to like them. Um, now I, I don't know uh, uh, what that means because. In some ways, they are like Duke basketball, but I root for Duke basketball, too. <laughs> I, I guess something about me roots for institutions that become kind of the whipping boy for a different kind of fan. Mm. I feel I real, I feel empathy for them in some way. I wonder if you're rooting for the idea of dominance itself, because I do this in tennis. Like if there is a if there is a very good tennis player, I want them to win constantly because I want to live in a world where there's an overwhelmingly good tennis player. Well, and it's, it's, it might be some of that, but it's, it's even, I think, a little further, particularly with the examples of Notre Dame in football and Duke in basketball. The thing is that both of those programs are, in some weird way, the most collegiate. They seem to operate in a way um, that uh, is, is uh, closer to the sort of the fictional ideal that we have of college sports. This isn't real at all, but they seem to do the pretending of that uh, more accurately. So rooting for those schools is almost rooting for the college version of the sport. Because uh-huh. one thing in my, you know, I love pro football too, but uh, I'm really a college football fan first. And in my mind, I'm always trying to support college football against the idea of pro football. And I'm trying to support college basketball against the idea of pro basketball. 
So I like these institutions that seem to help, like, like college football is a healthier thing when Notre Dame is good. Interest is higher. Um, you know, uh, they're, they're a polarizing team. So people care more. Uh, a couple of years ago when Notre Dame went undefeated, got to the national championship, that was really great, even though they got hammered in the game, because uh, it sort of pulls in the kind of person who sometimes drifts away from this. So it's almost like I'm working public relations for college sports <laughs> by rooting for Notre Dame, I guess. It's a weird, now that I'm saying it out loud, it seems insane. <laughs> well, you're visualizing the ideal. And so what is that ideal in your mind? Of, of college well, sports. I mean, okay, there's the ideal that um, that's like sort of, you know, the, 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 the promoted as the conventional ideal of amateurism and all these things. And that's, it, it's hard to accept that. I guess for me, the ideal is that when I'm watching a college game, um, there is a greater um, level of sort of um, originality and difference and diversity than it is when you watch a pro game. When you watch pro football, all the teams, for the most part, um, play essentially the same. I mean, the Eagles play a little differently. The Patriots play a little differently. But for the most part, they're using the same formations. Um, everybody who, uh, you know, the, who you see on the field is the best player on that team. There's you no know, in college football sometimes a running back that could hurt. And you'll be like, oh, my God, the star running back is out. Right. So they'll bring in a kid who's actually better. Yeah. Like there's always that small little hope that, that we're still figuring out how good these guys are. That never happens in the NFL. In the NFL, what you see is what you get. It's almost like a, um, it's a much more sort of predictable sport. Um, and college football seems unlike that. I mean, the way that, say, Georgia Tech or the, you know, the Naval Academy plays is so vastly different from the way Oklahoma State plays or the way Arizona plays. It's almost as if they're, they're, they're playing the same game in such a different way that you're seeing two games at once when they face each other. Hmm. I wonder if you could help us get some more enjoyment out of these random games that you're talking about. You turn on the TV, it's like Colorado versus Utah, and you just don't care. You talk about how when you watch one of those games, you uh, decide on who you're rooting for. Is that a conscious choice, or do you just gravitate towards one of them? Um, I usually gravitate toward one. You know, use, there's, like I said, there's usually this, like, um, you know, pre-existing tradition. Who are, in that game you just described, traditionally, yeah. I would be rooting for Colorado in that game. Why but not necessarily. You know, I wouldn't have some, some you know, bedrock feeling. Um, I think the way to get, you know, the enjoyment out of these games, particularly a game like that, okay, when you're looking at this, you're watching this game, it's a Thursday night game, Utah's playing Colorado. For the people involved in that game, um, this is sort of the apex in some ways of their lives. I mean, you, it sounds like a, a negative thing, but in a way, most of them aren't going to go to the NFL. Um, they're not going to play on national television a lot. But say they're playing on ESPN on a Thursday night, it's the game everyone's watching. So when you see this game, you're seeing these people who are really you know, in the moment, in the present tense, experiencing uh, the most sort of meaningful, memorable thing that will happen to them in many ways, that when they're 50 years old and they're talking to people, things they remember, they may reference the fact that interceptions on a Thursday night game on ESPN against Utah or something. I remember a few years back in the national championship game uh, when it was uh, Alabama and Texas, and uh, the quarterback for Texas was Colt McCoy. He got injured. So they brought in this freshman. Uh, and it was like watching a real episode of Friday Night Lights or something. Uh-huh. I mean, this kid, this kid's entire life suddenly changed in this moment. He's, you know, it's, you you were seeing something that that you could only see once. You know, it's not going to happen to him over and over and over again. Like this is it. I feel very often in college sports, you can feel as though you're seeing something that is, you know, uh, like the definition of unique. It's a singular thing. And there's singular moments in college sports that there just aren't in the NFL. I sometimes, if I was watching Colorado versus Utah, I would think, well, I've had fun in Boulder, Colorado. I'm not sure how much fun I've had in Utah. Well, that's an, you know, I have a friend uh, who's a college football writer, and uh, he has uh, he goes he uses geography much more than I do. He he for whatever reason hates all the schools from Utah. Uh, he hates BYU. He hates Utah. He hates Utah State. So he roots against all those schools. He probably would be like you. He'd be like, oh, you know, uh, uh, you know, it's easy to buy weed in Colorado or something. I'm rooting for Colorado. <laughs> you know, he had like he's some excuse that was based around 
uh, like how it is to live there. Right. I don't do that so much. If anything, I, my sympathies go toward teams, fall toward teams that uh, um, like are in like Corvallis, Oregon. I know it's like a, like a tough place to live. Yes. Um, <laughs> like it, did, it doesn't seem to, you know, I sometimes think about this. I like the Georgia Bulldogs, but, like, they live in Athens. What a great place to be, sort of, you know. Yeah. Weather's pretty good, easy life, you know. So they're playing, um, you know, they're playing Mississippi State. Uh-huh. I always think, like, well, guys in Mississippi State, they, they need this more. Right. They don't get to hang out with Patterson Hood at some random yeah. bar. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Um, all right. Well, let's get to the ethics part of this. You're you're the ethicist for the New York Times. Given the industry that is college football and the money and the injuries and the fact that these guys are getting scholarships, but they're not getting paid and their emphasis probably isn't on education while they're there. Is it ethical, Chuck Klosterman, to be a fan of college football? Well, you know, um, there are, there are different ways to look at this, but to me, this is the one that probably is most practical. Okay, um, like okay, you're a music fan, right? Yes. Do you feel as though just in your in your head right now, pick an artist you really appreciate, artist you love. Do you feel as though your appreciation of that artist is dependent on if they make records for an ethical label, and if you can justify how the music industry works? Well, for very instance, few people will do yeah. that. Okay, it seems strange to do so. Like you know, you can appreciate college football, and it seems odd not to recognize sort of the, the contradictions and all that. But I don't know if that, if 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 uh, having a you know feeling like uh, having mixed feelings or negative feelings for the institution that supports it uh, means that a person cannot sort of uh, enjoy the thing that originally brought them to the sport anyway. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's like, uh, for instance, Prince. I I love Prince's music. I think everybody loves Prince's music. I suspect that were I to hang out with him, it would be largely unbearable. Perhaps, Perhaps initially fascinating and then just dreadful. But I can still enjoy the music. That's what you're saying. Well, but, you know, even that's a little more complicated because... The fact of the matter is, you know things, or you, or you assume you know things about Prince as a person. Right. So when you're listening to Purple Rain or any of these records, you're unconsciously injecting your knowledge of Prince and hearing something back. You know that 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 the person he is and the the, the uh, uh, sort of his persona and the way he views the world that does actually inform the product. Okay, that's a little bit like saying, is it ethical to root for a kid from Colorado? who plays quarterback or whatever, plays tailback, uh, but he's been accused of rape or something. You know, that, that's a little different because you're looking at this guy and you're saying, like, well, I know these things about him. Um, I feel kind of a discomfort there. The, the main ethical issue people have with college sports, as I was saying, is very institutional, that they kind of look at it and see, like, it seems really unfair that the NCAA makes billions of dollars and these players are paid nothing. Um, and or that uh, you know essentially they're being kind of used yeah. in a form of of strange kind you know um, indentured almost servitude like indentured servitude yeah. sort of like like they're given this opportunity because they have no better option and uh, whether or not they graduate is not of an interest to the school all these things you know um, that's a very different thing to me there's a certain distance between the machinations of how the game is structured and organized and the game itself. You can still sort of mentally separate that during the three or four hours you watch this game. Now, if somebody says, well, I can't do that, that when I'm watching this college game, I'm constantly thinking about the hypocrisy of the NCAA. Well, I mean, that's an understandable position. I just don't think it's the position that you are ethically required to hold. Mm. Um, I I need to tell you, too, because I I remembered this about Prince, and we're talking about coloring in everything you know about Prince. A colleague of mine at Minnesota Public Radio was invited to Prince's house to get a, a preview of the new a new album that he's working on with uh, with this new band. And in on all over uh, Paisley Park, there were TVs, and on every single TV, Finding Nemo was playing the entire time she was there. <laughs> Have uh, have you ever went on YouTube and watched the speech that uh, the director Kevin Smith 
gives about his experience with Prince? No. Here's what I'm saying. Okay. <laughs> it's about an hour and 10 minutes long. It's long. Yeah. Okay? But if you go into YouTube and you put in Kevin Smith, Prince, the conversation and the story he tells, arguably better than every movie Kevin Smith has made. <laughs> and if you're, if you're at all interested in Prince as a weirdo, like, yeah. listen to this. Go in there and do it. Anybody listening to this podcast, I would suggest the same. You will not be disappointed. <laughs> if you watch it and you're bored, you can come to me and say, like, I was bored, and I'll be shocked. So, so like, the Dave Chappelle story about Prince is maybe the Notre Dame, but the Kevin Smith is, like, the Utah State. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, well, she, you know, the, the print story uh, from from Dave Chappelle, that's a real short story. Yeah. And it really kind of hinges on, like, just sort of this, the weirdness of them playing basketball at 3 in the morning. Yeah. This story go, talks about Prince asked Kevin Smith to film a documentary about his life, essentially. Oh, boy. And uh, it's uh, it's very weird. <laughs> I, I'm going to rush to YouTube to watch that. <laughs> Uh, who's your pick for national champion in college football this year, Chuck? Well, okay, so now we have a playoff for the yeah, first time. Right, and, that, right. and that's, you know, really interesting because we don't really even know how the four teams are going to be selected. Everyone concedes that whoever wins the SEC championship will be one of the teams. But then the probably. question becomes, will it be the other three teams be you know, best team from the Big 12, the best team from the Pac-12, the best team from the Big 10 or whatever. Will there be two teams from the SEC if mm. the assumption is that, you know, um, you know, Georgia wins the SEC title, but Alabama has one loss or whatever? Um, if you if you are a gambler, the, the best move, I think, would just to, to pick a team from the SEC because you know that they're going to be involved in this playoff. But who will actually be the best team? Um, I think... If I had a, uh, if I was trying to consciously be like go out on a limb and try to say something surprising, yes. see if I'm right at the end, I would say UCLA. UCLA, they UCLA don't wear orange has, at all, but you're still quarterback. Yeah. They have a lot of athletes on that team, and they seem as though that they're in the weaker half of the Pac-12, so they could easily get to the Pac-12 championship. And I think that they would be a good dark horse selection. But not an orange horse selection, Chuck. They don't wear orange. <laughs> well, it could be a dark shade of orange. It could be a very burnt, burnt orange, so orange it's blue. <laughs> Chuck Klosterman, thank you so much. Thanks a lot for having me on there, John. All right, so right now I'm not saying... Welcome back to Home Dunk, because you know what the show is. The, the name is displayed on your thing. I'm getting used to this. I've been in, I've been in radio things, uh, waves through the air things for a long time. I'm getting used to fitting into devices. Well, it's time for round two of our Tournament of Names, an NFL battle royale, as it were. We're taking the names of all the NFL teams, and uh, we're pairing them tournament style in uh, imaginary battles to the death and seeing who ultimately will be the, uh, the, the Tournament of Names champion for this year. With me, as before, uh, Mike Fotis, Twin Cities improviser, uh, frequent guest on Wits. Hello, Mike. Hi, how's it going? It's going okay. Are you ready for action? Yeah, I'm totally ready. No All distraction. Right. No distraction. Uh, and that's Peter Clowney. He's the uh, executive producer of Wits, and he's a big important executive around uh, here and so we've brought him in uh to make decisions as executives do yes yeah. we, we try you sit around and make decisions that's how you spend your day <laughs> sitting around well framed i'm gonna get fired Thank i got you, a John. master's degree <laughs> yeah decision decision making so mike and i will argue uh these two teams and then uh, peter will render his decision Last time we did the round of 32, this time we're down to the uh, the final 16. So, Mike, our yeah. first match, the Titans versus the Texans. And I believe you have you drew the Titans in this match. Yeah, they're the number 1 seed too. Yeah, in the region. The, in Overall. this region, yeah. yeah. Uh obviously it's going to be the Titans cuz the Titan is more encompassing than something that just represents a state. You know what I mean? Like, so if like the Texans were playing the Illinoisians, I'd be like, all right, I guess the Texans have a shot at that. But the Titans, that's something bigger. That's something more encompassing. I know somebody, I know a lady 
in Texas who lives in Lubbock, Texas, who shot a giraffe to death. <laughs> personally, you know this person? Yes, I personally know this person. Why did she do that? Well, they were on a safari in, uh, in Texas. In, no, in no. Africa. Oh, oh, so it was right. in Africa. It was in Africa. It wasn't just at the zoo. <laughs> I that's what you were getting yeah, at. Yeah, no, but I just, I mean yeah, it. It sounded it, like giraffe murder, but it's, it's not. No, well, it arguably is. <laughs> okay. But the, in this it's particular case, yeah, it was sanctioned giraffe murder. And uh, she's a perfectly lovely person in all ways other than that troubling fact. Okay. And so I mean to say that Texans are sort of unpredictable. They yeah. might be pleasant, they might be friendly, but they're often armed and they could kill a giraffe. And perhaps a giraffe has the stature of a titan? Very tall. Giraffes are tall. I mean, this is just one person in Lubbock. I wish this was the Titans versus the Texases. If it was actual whole states of Texas states filled of with Texas. people like yeah. the giraffe murderer. Yeah, I'm honestly know, but... really rattled by that story. Yeah, I'm yeah. sad that you right? know this person. <laughs> well, um, wait, the, the Texans Titans are number five. The Kraken, here. is that yeah. correct? Yeah, for sure. Well, come on, we're and done. A Kraken it's could t- probably kill a giraffe, yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, pick its teeth with a giraffe. It's definitely the, the Titans. Kraken is one of the Titans? Yeah, I think so. I'm making that up, but I believe it. Okay, so the Titans <laughs> win that. Emails. It was an uphill battle. <laughs> Thanks for your emails in advance. Nobody is going to go to Lubbock, Texas, especially, especially if, giraffes. If you're a giraffe, listening <laughs> to the program, uh, we're big in the giraffe community. All right, the next round pits a number two seed in this region, the Lions, versus a number six seed, the Chargers. Now, the Chargers have been pulling off an upset already in this contest because we know them to be uh, not electricity based right. but people who charge forth into <laughs> their go-getters yeah, i think yeah. they beat the jaguars but, yeah. um but this is a bigger cat the lions <laughs> they're kings of the jungle uh and i think if you charge at a lion particularly uh, a female lion who's on the hunt they would in fact welcome that because that's that's They'd make their day that's food delivery <laughs> that's that's just takeout that you're getting there and so i think no matter how boldly a charger charges a lion is is ready and willing. That's a great point, and I was anticipating this. So honestly, the Chargers, we've changed our tact for this week because oh. uh, we know that lions understand cash currency, <laughs> but credit cards are really confusing to lions. Oh. So they're just going to whip visas and Mastercards at the lions. So these are aggressive spenders. That's right. They're going to and they're like bullseye a like yeah. comics, like they're trying to slice an ear off with a. Card. Is it like those people who throw playing cards yeah. into walls? There's so that it, angle. Lion piercing. No. Yeah, there's that angle for sure. That's there. It is sort of the front line, but then also just getting the Lions into debt, (laughs) which they can't get out. The long game. Yeah, it's the long game. So this this round might take a while. Honestly, yeah, I think it's, you know, to to get Lions to buy into that cycle of of spending more than they have (laughs) goes against their natural instinct. It's really a second-generation problem. It's a second-generation problem. Once you're established. Yeah, yeah. So I think the Lions might, plus anybody who comes at it with a, a strategy of spending more money than they have in the face of lions <laughs> uh, I, th- I feel like perhaps photos may have been throwing this one but still we have to give it to the lions the lions win okay i understand the motivation every once in a while you've got to change the yeah, offense like, i'm gonna surprise you by sucking <laughs> well that's great all right so go with lions. So the, the titans so in that particular region the the top two seeds advance it'll be titans versus the lions yeah. in the next round all right moving on uh we have a number one seed in the next region the jets Versus a number five seed, the Eagles. And uh, I'll go first. I'm arguing for the Jets in this case. And it's pretty simple. If you've ever traveled anywhere by air, you've traveled in a jet. And uh, imagine an an eagle uh, being sucked into a jet engine. I don't like the Eagles' chances in that particular scenario. So I think it's the Jets. Okay. Um, we've already established from other the other episode that Eagles release their talons and fire them. So I can't, just want to let. throw that out. I thought that was Falcons. Was it Falcons? <laughs> oh, never mind. Uh, but, but no, feel free to make up your own facts about no, birds. No, no these guys along. fire beaks. Right. And uh, Yeah, I'm sorry. I was totally mistaken. Here's the thing. Do so I hear I, fire their beaks or fire comes out of their beaks? They, no, they fire their Projectile beaks. Projectile beakage. The beaks are attached to a string. Fire coming out a of their string, beaks so would be ridiculous. Yeah, fireable. It's amazing. Okay. Um, so we've obviously got that. That's a huge, wow. huge advantage for eagles. Uh, no baggage fees. <laughs> That's if you true. fly an eagle, That's I just true. want to throw that out there. And that's got to be demoralizing to your team. Yeah. Let me ask you this. Does your eagle have the kind of... Uh, 
mental capability to be like a gremlin in the twilight zone on the wing of the plane and, 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 you know, get in there, grab the wiring with its beak, with its fireable beak. Can the Eagle do that or not? Come on, Peter. Of course. Of course it can. <laughs> That's just implied. <laughs> I just think in the engine is one passive place. Well, the... I mean, I'm thinking like what would happen if a, an Eagle did get sucked into the engine of a jet? Engine might go flight? down. Well, that's the thing. I think everybody dies. We already have the evidence. <laughs> Bird strike. Bird strike. Lots and lots of death. I'm um, calling it for eagles. Eagles yeah. in the upset nice. over the Jets. Wow. has nothing to do from the fact that I'm from Philly. Oh, I see where we're going. <laughs> um, all right, moving on. Uh, the number two seed Vikings versus the number six seed Falcons. So we're going to switch uh, switch bird arguments here. I'll, I'll argue the Falcons. <laughs> but, uh, but Mike Fotis, go ahead and start with the Vikings. All right. Well, Vikings, as we've already established, uh, they're big, they're burly, they're strong, strong people. Also, they have the confidence to wear furry vests without shirts. And if you have the confidence to do that kind of thing, you have the you, moxie. So. You have the moxie. Yeah. You could beat a Falcon. No problem. Uh, you know, I, I concede that that's why they're ranked so high. It's a two seed versus a six seed here. The Falcons are the, the underdogs or, or underbirds, if you will. <laughs> um, however, do not uh, underestimate how powerful Mead is. Yeah, yeah. Like, if you got a bunch of Vikings, fat and happy after conquering Scotland, all doped up on Mead, and swarms of Falcons come down with their, with their uh, claws that shoot out, uh, and and their their gripping ability with the claws. One, see, I think the sh- the claws shoot out. They embed themselves in a Viking's neck. The bird swoops down, reconnects with the claws, and Whoa, then the ripping they're not on starts. strings. They just no, no, those, those are eagles. Are You're thinking of eagles. Yeah. Oh, I am thinking yeah, of eagles. That's okay, dude. I have a whole okay. book that'll help you out with. <laughs> All it. right. Well, I just want to throw one thing out here because that's a great argument. All right. Honestly, I think you're winning, but. I I held this in, but Vikings have beautiful singing voices. Did they you do. know this? They are known as really? the yes, they are the they uh, are siren songs, and all they do is fire them at Falcons. They're the sirens of the Norseland. <laughs> they are the sirens of the Norseland. So they throw it out there. Fal- Falcons get lulled into a sense of security, mm. and these Falcons know. play in a dome. So I just think a swarm good. of Falcons is much scarier than a. Because that's birds travel in swarms. I don't know if you they knew do. that. No, all birds Just travel in, in swarms. swarms. Yeah, versus a herd of Vikings. Sure, I, I heard think, of Vikings. Have you ever been around a, a bunch of drug Vikings? I've been, I live in Minnesota, want. so basically <laughs> yeah. it's coming to work. But I would say that I would. It's yeah, the Green I'm Line gonna, train. I, any, I, yeah, any I, the birds are scary to me in this game. I'm going to go with the Falcons. On Falcons. This right. Ooh, we okay. got a, we got double bird winners. That yeah. sets up a really. Exciting I really. Yeah, that's going to be a fun round. matchup in the next round. No. All right, so that we're through two regions with two regions still to go. Uh, now we go to the number one seed Giants versus the number five seed Broncos. And, uh, Mike, you did pretty well arguing for the Titans. Let's see how you do arguing for the, the Giants. Yeah, well, honestly, not too different of an argument. <laughs> um, uh, so the Giants, they're obviously very big, and that's great. Kraken uh, Yeah, Broncos don't even have the courage to call themselves horses. <laughs> Because that's really what they are. If they, if it was, you know, uh, if it was be, if it was really fair, if they were really being honest, they'd be like, "Oh, we're the Denver horses." Or horses, like, maybe. Even. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. So, like, who cares? The Giants. What do you get? Super tall guys, still pretty scary. <laughs> so that's why I'm going out there. They're hiding okay. behind a uh, name. They're yeah, I, you know, it's it's a speed versus size matchup that we're talking about here. Uh, the the Broncos. Uh, they they have the kicking ability and they have the running ability. Whereas, I mean, okay, like everybody else, right now I'm imagining mm, five to ten Andre the Giants in their wrestling singlets right. being kicked by horses over and over again. And uh, and that's, I, that's the argument. John, you're not Broncos. even buying your own arguments. So it's definitely the Giants. Thank you. And I also just want to point out the Giants are 90 yards tall. So all, they, yards. all they have to do is raise their arm, fall, right. and what? they score. All right. <laughs> they score so it's like... Wow. Well, it's still the Giants, then but it's even just going to be a pulverizing. So. Yeah. God, okay, wow. Giants scale. looking really strong coming out of that one. <laughs> I think I might have set up an argument that makes it difficult for the yeah, Giants to Maybe lose. against rope, maybe <laughs> they will. It's going to be, okay. yeah, or geese. Uh, all right, now we have uh, the Raiders versus the Rams. Both teams won in the first round, and now they face each other. Um, the Raiders, uh, we've we've had some difficulty here picking out what form of pirate the different Raiders versus Buccaneers are, but they're pirates and they're jerks and they take things that don't belong to them. I love every category of defunct tough guy. Yeah, in, in yeah. his name. That's, That's a really good. Call. Like outmoded right. tough guy. Uh, <laughs> the Cleveland Hessians. Man, they're, 
<laughs> the Huns out of Ottawa. Uh, it's about time Ottawa got a team. Good anyway, the, the Raiders versus the Rams. I think they're armed. I think they have swords, and I think the uh, cutlasses even the cutlasses, and I think the uh, the the horns are are tough until you get to the other side of the horn, and then it's just ram flesh that you can do the, whack with a, a scimitar. Wow, that's good. Did the, do the do the Raiders have single eyes or double? I mean, are they, is, does everyone well, wear an eye patch? Or? They do have an eye patch. So there, there is a depth perception issue. It's an issue, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Even a ram yeah. coming at you. Okay, go ahead. Well, um, honestly, and I'm glad that you guys fell for this. These aren't necessarily <laughs> animals. These are. This is memory <laughs> capability. <laughs> so <laughs> we're six seed for a reason. But just oh, wow. follow me on this one. You're going accurate. I love yeah, the, yeah, random yeah. access memory. <laughs> yeah, yeah, thank you. Thank you for With a homily yeah. word. Yeah. Go ahead. Um, so they have a lot of memory. They could take in every play that They're the Raiders dealers. throw and then process it and come up with the right play. So you're living that's, in a world where these people, their fights are called out of a playbook as well. Yeah, that's right. All but right. aren't they just data on a, on a chip? Uh, some are, but we are solid state drive. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> we're faster processors. Like I, mm. that one. Hey, I'll admit it. That's a flyer. Let's see how it goes. I Peter. want to see these uh, self-motivated <laughs> bits of ram, but uh, yeah, I think the Raiders would turn them into bits of ram. So. I, I, I yeah. think yeah, and you know, if it gets into the water, as we've said before, once you're in the water, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's the only word. Everything yeah. changes. Okay, uh, so that's another region where the one and two advance. Uh, final region here, uh, we have the Bears versus the Colts, and. Uh, Back in, in reality, I know the, the Bears are, are Mike's team. He's from Chicago. That's right. But uh, I'm going to argue them in this case. Um, bears, oh, okay. So I was reporting a story one time. On a bear. About a bear and a colt. Because they, these two teams played in the Super Bowl many years ago. I remember. And, uh, and I went out and saw uh, this place where, where grizzly bears were kept in captivity in a kind of natural setting. But in captivity. And I, um, I asked the lady, I said, well, how long have you been taking care of these grizzly bears? She said, I've been taking care of these for about eight or nine years. And I said, really? And, uh, if this door were to open and this grizzly bear were to come out where you are, what would happen? She said, Oh, he'd kill me instantly. (laughs) I said, but you're, you've been feeding him for eight or nine years. She said, doesn't matter. Grizzly bear. Yeah. Plus, this is a basement. I yeah. can keep this many ba- bears down here. It's really bad. <laughs> and so, I, you know, if the black black bears are essentially like big dogs, right. but the grizzlies are murderers, and I think uh, they Whoa. can take apart any cult. I'm a little thrown by the actual knowledge factor, but let's pivot now to the cults. That's a really great argument, and I'm you know I'm tempted to just forfeit, but I'm not going to because. I know a cult from Lubbock, Texas, <laughs> <laughs> who once that killed, killed a giraffe. <laughs> so I'm just going to throw that can, out there. Can, you know, this, we, because you've been you've been retranslating these uh, creatures. Right. Is this a horse? Is it guns? Or is it horses with guns? Or is it a what bunch it? of people who are all Colt McCoy, yeah. former college quarterback? <laughs> That's right. Well, it's a little bit of each one of those. <laughs> wow. Things. It's a bunch of Colt McCoys in a Colt suit. They're wearing so, horse suits. Yeah. So. But no guns? No. Brandishing Colt yeah, there there guns. There's guns. Come on, Peter. Uh, I'm, uh, the bears have to. Adv- I'm sorry. That's because okay. I think it's yours right. was kind of beautiful. Yeah. And I want to see those creatures. Yeah. Plus, aren't Colt's baby horses? They kind of are baby horses. <laughs> they're <right>? baby. <laughs> but yeah. they're faster that they're way. They're like adolescent horses. They're yeah. like uh, angsty teenage horses. Yeah, the most dangerous creature in the world. Yeah. Could be. Final uh, matchup in the round of 16 pits the uh, Cowboys versus the Dolphins. Mike, you want to start with the Cowboys? Uh, yeah, a lot of people don't know this about Cowboys, but they also have blowholes. Do they? So they're good on land and in water. Are they on the top of their hats? Yeah, they're right on the top of their hats. They just, they just woohoo! What comes out? Air! Okay. <laughs> Sometimes stupid. gunpowder. Yeah, just a little bit. So every time they're yeehaw, Or a bean every now and then. Yeah, that's not coming out of their mouths. Yeah. That's the release of pressure from their Wow, hats. that is amazing. Yeah, so... Is that why the hats, hats are so... It's like a chimney stack? Yeah, that's okay. exactly right why on. it's like that. Okay. Ten gallons, because ten gallons of air, of air build up, and then you just release it. Thank you. So, so this serves what purpose for the... Well, because they could fight the dolphins in the water... Or if by, the dolphins by surviving on their ten gallons, yeah, of yeah. Or if the dolphins try to come on the land, we obviously know how that's going to turn out. Which dolphins aren't going to do too well on land. Dead. Okay, that's good. Yeah. I'm surprised by this fact. You but. know, I admit it's a, it's a, it's 
battle against the Cowboys. They're pretty strong, especially now that they have blowholes. I think the Dolphins' strategy in this match would just be to be delightful. We know that they can be just charming and delightful. Like chirping. Chirping, kind of, you know, doing that kind of, ah, kind of thing while they go backwards on their tail a little bit. Uh, I don't really know what dolphins are. Would the blowhole cowboys be charmed by this? Well, that's the thing. If they could be charming and do enough tricks and be the the gentle mammals of the sea long enough that the cowboys would uh, run out of air and drown. Mm. See... I think that's the only chance the Dolphins I, I, have, but I think it's a possibility. I think the Dolphins have it because you put your Cowboys in the water. That's a huge mistake. Why? Is it they have mistake? the blowholes, but they still got the freaking arms. It's hard for them. They're weighed down by what their you, saddles. No, like, that's what those leather chaps are for. The chaps are good for They're swimming. They're like fins. They release and they help them swim. <laughs> but Dolphins, I mean, they We are pu- putting they, way too much stock in the, in, in the assumption that Cowboys could be delighted. I'm just throwing <laughs> that out. I think, but I've seen Dolphins like circle around and pummel things. They're not all chirping. I, it, is charm their only weapon, or can they use their, oh, their they own little heads? they can use their flippers. It, it's, it's limited. You really kind of have to lure the cowboy <laughs> up close. If there's so there's no, way, ramming, there's no ramming happening. They're, they're not, not effectively against a gun, oh. no, but I, but I think a dolphin, <laughs> if a dolphin could figure out a way to get an old-timey piano uh, <laughs> into the sea, we know that that is the one thing that soothes cowboys. Really it's true. It. It's yeah. true. Well, you've, the weapon I thought the Dolphins would most be applying is uh, has been stolen from me. Oh, the, okay. The head ramming of the... Uh, oh. So I actually think... Will you accept that the chaps are good in water? I think they would make... Yeah, I think they would be good I think it's fins. the Cowboys. Oh, okay. good. So I didn't even have to bring up the fact that Cowboys could also breathe the fire. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the smoke out of the... the yeah. Yeah, save Sierra. it for the next save round. It. Wow. That's... All right. Well, okay. uh, we're, we're through this round, and uh, we've we got some interesting matches coming up here. We've got the Titans versus the Lions, Eagles versus the Falcon, a battle of birds, the Giants and Raiders. Good luck, Raiders, as we've said. <laughs> And uh, and cowboys trying to fight a bunch of bears. Until next time, Mike Fotis, Peter Clowney, thanks. Well, that about does it. Before we go, let's check in on harness racing. It looks like in terms of wins, shortest distance is is the winner so far in 2014, 18 and 2. Diamond Tiara has 17. Rose Run Nash with 16. In terms of earnings, though, can't catch up with Sweet Lou. Sweet Lou at $934,700 for a horse with a thing tied to the back of it. I maintain that any of these horses could do much better and run much faster if they would just get rid of the thing hanging on to the back of them. That is my key to harness racing success. Horses, listen to me, cast that thing off. I'm John Moe. We get production help from Corey Schreppel and Steve Nelson and Peter Clowney. Home Dunk is part of the Infinite Guest podcasting network. Check us out, infiniteguest.org. Bye now.